0: Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Podcast Away podcast. I'm your host Will, and I'm your host Stanley. In this series, we'll deliver fresh, action-packed,
1: off-the-cuff reviews on films we like, films we've seen recently, and bring
0: you the latest film news. For our first episode, titled "Episode Zero: The Podfather," I know what you're thinking: "The Podfather." Why would you name an episode that? Because it's funny. And we've taken the time to make a film title pun for each episode of this podcast because we want to bring you the highest caliber of humour. So be grateful.
1: (laughs) In this episode, we will attempt to bring you two films that we love and
0: hold dearly to our hearts. One film that we despise and our favourite film of this year. So without further ado, let's get into it. Okay, so let's get right into this. As I mentioned before, I'm Will. Uh some of you watching this may know that I actually have a bit of experience in the film reviewing industry before. I used to have a YouTube channel where I used to review films. I've been a I'm a long-time film fan. I really, you know, started getting into watching films in my free time a lot in late 2019, ever since then I just haven't been able to stop. So over the years I've built up quite a hefty collection of Film memorabilia as well as um Blu-rays and DVDs because I, I'm a big advocate for the physical media side of uh the film industry. But um I've you know, I've over time found my taste in films and my, some of my favorite films, I'll tell them to you now. My favorite film of all time is Sis and Kane, which obviously is a very generic choice for a favorite film, but uh it is excellent, you know. And um, it's yeah, it's got a wonderful performance from Orson Welles, and yeah, you know, he's directing as well. So you know, big big props to him for doing both roles, both jobs. And uh, it's got some wonderful cinematography, one of the best character studies in the history of cinema, in my opinion. It's it's an amazing story. The way it's told so th- through so many different perspectives makes it such an interesting and fresh take. And you know, despite the fact that the films. So, so many decades old, it still feels fresh and new to this day. And it just is such a wonderful film that could be rewatched so many times over and then still enjoyed because it's so fresh and different. And that's something I have a lot of respect for. And then, as we mentioned earlier, we are going to be talking about two of our favorite films. And um, my second favorite film personally is. Ridley Scott's Alien. Ridley Scott is my favourite director. Uh, I know that wasn't something we met, said we'd been mentioning, but he is an amazing director. His film Blade Runner, Gladiator, this amazing films. Alien is one of the best horror movies ever, No, the best horror movie ever made. I'll go as far to say. It's such a wonderful depiction of, you know, that horror environment that's so different because it's so enclosed, it's so tight without feeling like every other horror film that's set in an enclosed space, which I think is such an amazing thing to do. And the, the plot is so amazingly structured that it's so vivid, your understanding of what's happening. And I was actually talking about this film a couple of weeks ago, and I watched it and I understood it as a horror film and loved it as what it was at face value. And then I spoke to the person and they told me, you know, you you know, the whole film's an analogy for rape and forced impregnation. Right. And it all just clicked at that moment for me. And it gave me such a such a great respect for Ridley Scott, who at that time was still my favourite director. And for the film, which was one of my favourite films as it was at face value. And it just made me recognise that there was so much artistic direction and, you know, such an immense storytelling ability that had gone into it. To be able to tell that so that when you realise that that's the analogy it's portraying, it feels like such a more powerful film. And I think that's amazing. Coupled with the amazing performances from Sigourney Weaver and John Hurst in the film specifically, it just makes this amazing horror film, which I absolutely love. And now that I'm done talking for hours about my favourite films, I'll let Stanley talk for a little bit.
1: Yeah, so after that lovely, lovely about half an hour block of talking that you're all probably bored out of your brains for, uh, my my name is Stanley, of course, and my favourite film of all time has to be Robert Zemeckis' Back to the Future. Starring Christopher Lloyd and uh, Michael J. Fox. Back to the Future is a... Groundbreaking, time traveling wonder of a film that really it was just quite amazing to see on your screens in 1985 when it first released. You remember that,
0: don't you? Yeah, back in, in, back five. in 1985
1: when I was alive. Yeah, yeah, it was just it is it just gives you chills every time you watch it. It's been adapted into a musical. Uh, it's had two two extra films built off of that: Back to the Future Part Two and Part Three which really fill the story in and really add to the storytelling of the whole thing. Steven Spielberg was an executive producer on the set and really helped bring some light to it with the director of Robert Zemeckis. And it really just elevated the story and with the DeLorean and the, like, the space technology that you've never seen before and that, what, what technology could really be like in the future and what it can be like if people put their minds to
0: it. I, I agree with you, What you're, to everything you've said that. I do love Back to the Future. But I think when you speak about the DeLorean, the fact that the DeLorean was such a... Uh, it wasn't a widely produced car at the time. And the fact that it's become so iconic to this day because of this film is just a testament to the success of that film.
1: And I, th- I feel like the, the DeLorean really was asking for it, especially with the the wing doors, how they go up. Instead very, of the generic unique, yeah. Generic open sideways kind of thing whatever you call it yeah but I feel like that really does have that extra space vibe to it yeah and leading on from from the talk about vehicles my second favorite film is Cars actually (laughs) Cars the film starring Owen Wilson and Larry the Cable Guy as Mater um directed by John Lasseter um it it, it, (laughs) really it was Pixar animated in 2008 and I just really connect to it for some some absolutely I, I strange reason. I understand
0: that. It's an, it's an excellent film. I haven't seen it in a long time. Cars
1: 2, but... however, did flop and it was that is That
0: is... Usually there's a trend because, of course, Cars is a trilogy. There is a trend that normally goes with those. And I think Back to the Future is an excellent example of that. The first film is always good. The second film usually ends up being better than the first one, I think. And then the third one always I find to be a flop. I can't exactly remember if Cars follows that.
1: Cars kind of does follow it. It kind of goes in the Cars 1 is the peak of Cars. And then you've got Cars 2, which I don't know what they tried to do. They tried to go James Bond and go spies. And it just didn't work in the Cars sense. Like you still had the racing element. Yeah, but I feel like they tried to put it onto Mater as the main character in this film. And then Mater got all of his spin off. Um, mini shorts and everything which was which was great I loved them they were they were like short and funny and sweet you've got like El Matador you've got Mater and the Ghost Light you've got like Tokyo Mater they're all kind of funny just short little things but Cars 2 I feel didn't work as a whole the main character is Lightning McQueen and I'm not saying that it has to be Lightning McQueen you've got to do this and you've got to do that but it kind of took away from the story and didn't work as well because it left so many plot holes at the end of the film and I feel like in the gap that they had from Making Cars 2 into Making Cars 3 they didn't fill those in and clarify because you think that Phil McMissell and Holly Schiffwell will come back but they don't come back and Mate has left alone again and it's just a bit oh okay what's this and then Mesa doesn't become the biggest main character and he kind of gets left behind at the end of the film again however cars 3 kind of lifted the series back up i think Mm. kind of in a way it didn't it wasn't the best film i feel like it kind of was a bit far-fetched with the whole radiator springs um rusty's kind of training grounds with um with everything like that and how they just sold the company off and everything it was good soundtracks of course Cars has always an amazing soundtrack it's got the country vibe it's got great but the new Cars series Cars on the Road Mm, look quite promising and it's I'm grateful as well as many other fans of the Cars series that they haven't tried to go for Cars 4 and instead they've taken what Disney Plus are kind of Disney kind of drilling into loads of things with Disney Plus, trying to make series like Marvel Studios making Moon Knight and She-Hulk and WandaVision Division, and High School Musical and musical series, and you've got all of these new shows that that they work really well because over a longer amount of time, you have so much more storytelling that you can do, yeah. and I feel like Cars needs that storytelling.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think you do see a lot about the Cars trilogy and how the. You see a lot of memes about it, specifically on social media, about how the first one is, you know, funny racing movie. Second one, ultra-spy, international, man of mystery kind of thing. And then the third one is funny racing movie again. And I think that's an interesting direction they went down. In this situation, it's not one that paid off. But also, if I may touch on the TV show thing you spoke about, I mean, I definitely think that's a... It's definitely got benefits to it in that, you know, you're getting so much more time to become you know one with the characters and get the story that they're going through but what i worry is that the tv industry specifically through this disney plus thing is that made me sound like such a boomer i know what disney plus is um it 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 kind of feels like you know the, the the tv industry is almost losing a bit of identity because it's being eclipsed by these film studios who are coming in making TV series based around films or spin-off to film. And I feel like that's kind of, you know, taking away the spirit. I'm no TV, massive TV fan, but I feel like that's taking away the spirit of the TV industry.
1: Yeah, I totally get what you mean. I think with the Cars, it kind of works because we've already had the meta kind of short TV shows and this series kind of identifies along with them. Yeah. I think where Cars 3 kind of fell off as well, was in the sense that I feel like, along with many films at the time, with the times of gender equality and pushing those kind of trends forwards, they kind of had... They they wanted to pursue the Cruz Ramirez being a racer because that's what she always dreamed of. And then she was crushed because she became a trainer and all of that. And they tried to push it and it just kind of didn't have the same feel to having Lightning McQueen on your screens than having someone filling in for the 95, even though it was emotional having, like... breaking through like new trainer becoming a racing model when you've got the epic scene with her flipping over the top of jackson storm and all of that and then you've got the uh, you don't belong here lines and all of that from jackson storm referencing that she's a girl and she's a trainer but she doesn't belong on the racetrack she's not a racing car she wasn't built for it but i feel like the whole film in general just didn't work as well as stuff like cars one did cars one having the the parallels between the king crashing and Doc crashing just had a, such a bigger kind of lift than flipping over the top of a car and not touching the wall. And although that was really epic, like the scenes in Thomasville and what have you, where Doc grew up and was trained by Rusty, um, not Rusty, Smokey. Um, <laughs> Sorry, guys, him. he barely knows anything about <laughs> um, I feel just had a bigger feel, like Larry, the. Um, Larry, what's his name? Larry that the Cable guy. guy. Yeah, Larry the Cable Guy. Everything's going for my head now. Larry the Cable Guy, just ha- he's had his career built off cars, really. Mm-hmm.
0: Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I haven't seen cars in a long time, and you clearly are a I watch Cars.
1: I watch cars every couple of weeks. Have You're resting a lot. And
0: I mean, this is completely off topic, but the Formula One driver cameos in cars, that's that's what i respect yeah the Canada king i'll oh, have you know the king uh
1: voice actor was actually um a famous driver i can't remember his name oh. um they based his car off of the car he drove
0: wow which uh which car film was this in sorry i cars one the king Cars one the sorry king. yeah i haven't seen it in so long the king strip right, weathers yeah.
1: um strip weathers the king um, I'm pretty sure he was a famous Yeah, I'll, I'll check
0: that for you because, you know, that's very interesting. I read I'm something
1: a... out because he crashed and they kind of wanted to use the crash that uh, he had uh, into, yes. yeah. into his actual crash. Because he had a crash and then he didn't come yeah. back. It was like Doc crashed and didn't come back because the racing industry kind of left him behind. Yeah. And it kind of showed in that with Doc how how stuff moves on so quickly and how if you have one incident, you can be lost forever.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I've just checked it up. The The king that you're talking about is um, Richard Petty, who's a form, former NASCAR driver. I mean, that's not really my area of expertise. I was more referring to, you know, Lewis Hamilton and yeah, Fernando Formula Alonso. One, yeah. and Although Marcus. Lewis
1: Hamilton does make a cameo. Yeah, he does. Yeah, yeah. Lewis He's...
0: Hamilton, Fernando Alonso and Sebastian Vettel are three of the Formula yeah. One drivers I'm aware make cameos in. It, yeah, but, um, but yeah. Christ, we really went down a down a, a rabbit hole there yeah. talking about cars. Have a
1: Bonnie Hunt also Hunt even also voices in Cars. She's been in the Toy Story films. Uh, she's done loads of stuff with them. Michael Keaton voices Chick Hicks. Oh wow! In that, he's also played Batman and stuff like That's that. That's the only thing he's known for. Yeah, basically, not his own. <laughs> no. Batman's just a more iconic, iconic thing. You know, Vulture in Spider Man. Vulture in Spider Man, of yeah. course. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Morbius, of course, the film that oh, everyone Christ, loves,
0: yeah. loves. Don't, and, don't get us started on that. That's a, that's a topic for another day. Topic for another day, actually. Yeah, yeah. Quite, quite. I mean, if we're going to talk about bad films like Morbius, yeah, that's a wonderful movement into talking our about. Our next topic. Our, yeah, our least favourite films of all time. Well, I think I'll go first with that. You, well, you've just been talking for about <laughs> half an hour there. Yeah, about but we cars. don't really want to talk
1: about Will again. He oh, just betrays yeah. one of it. I'll be. I'll make this short and sweet. Dark Phoenix. What? A load of rubbish.
0: Overhated, in my opinion.
1: In your opinion, the the bad guy didn't even know their name. I. I didn't even know what their power. They don't even know what their characters. I've
0: is. seen it once when it came out. It was.
1: It was all right. I feel like they milked the X Men series a lot.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know. When you've got what is that? The second trilogy. No, yeah, because there's the original trilogy, then there's the prequel trilogy, then there's this one, which is is the fourth. Yeah, but this is the fourth film in the prequel trilogy. trilogy. I mean, they should have
1: stopped. They should have stopped at Apocalypse. Apocalypse was falling off. Apocalypse was not a good film. They had their high at. Days of Future, Days Past. Future Past is an amazing film. That was an amazing film. Logan kind of wrapped up. Oh, time. Logan is Logan was, so Logan was, was a I bliss Logan. film. It kind of had the ending to the X-Men. Yeah, yeah. And Dark Marvel and X-Men is a very touchy ground nowadays yeah. with the whole MCU bringing X-Men yeah, and mutants. Definitely. It's just a bit...
0: It, it feels a bit soon.
1: For a hardcore comic fan... Like me, I'm more superhero kind of comics yeah. um, than generic films. Although I do love a good film, like I've watched loads of films. I'll, I'll say, I'll, I'll admit it. Yeah, Will watches more films than me. Yeah, but I have the more kind of superhero kind of side to it. Although which he is, is more which is,
0: which is not to say that I'm not a, a Batman not a not a nerd. superhero fan. I'm I'm a very very big Batman fan, but it, when he says I'm very Superman.
1: big, he means. Like, he's yeah. got a shrine in it's his room. It's not a shrine. That's an overstatement. It's, it's a shrine. But he's got, he's got, what's this? What's this? Okay, you don't need to... Ten Funko Pops with Lego figures dawning the walls. And it, you've got, like, the Batmobile and everything. It's just, it's just a shrine. It's not a you shrine. You can't, can't... you don't have a plaque on your wall saying, I devote my life to Batman. We're,
0: we're getting off topic here. <laughs> but Dark Phoenix is an overhasted film. I don't think it's the worst one of all time. It's definitely the worst X-Men film. But yes. there's worse films that I've seen, definitely.
1: Yeah. I feel, like, I feel like they should have ended it at Apocalypse. I mean, that was a yeah, good... Yeah, Apocalypse. Instead of trying to evolve Jean into being the villain, because remember, these are prequels yeah. to the original X-Men trilogy that features Jean as a as... villain. Yeah. So when you've got her killing off Mystique, it's who is in the X-Men films
0: yeah i know it's, that just it's, doesn't work the timeline is so confusing and it's just the character development feels so off and i think the worst thing is that no one really can admit that dark phoenix was a good film it wasn't no one no it wasn't one good asked but, for it but the fact that they made another x-men film after that in the form of new mutants that's something that absolutely just riles me and i know they were going for like way one one, Ooh, one more good cool. film one more good film before 20th century fox gets sold off to disney but christ it was just who wanted it you know I, I watched it when it came out i've got it on blu-ray and it's one of my most regrettable blu-ray purchases because it was such a bad film
1: i feel like some of the casting was quite well done like in new music yeah Ilyana yeah. rasputin as um anna taylor joy as, as Anna Taylor Joy, <laughs> no, no uh, anna taylor joy as Ilyana rasputin and, and, yeah and yeah, sorry, sorry, I got the pronunciation. Um, I feel like that was a very good casting. However, the story that they were going for didn't really work yeah. as well as they hoped it would.
0: I still think the whole 20th Century Fox X-Men universe had a wonderful ending in Logan, and it just took it and just ruined it by making Dark Phoenix and New Mutants. But hey, what, what can you do? What they you needed do?
1: to have a proper timeline, I feel. Like, they had the timeline, yeah. and then they kind of... The timeline became very bit. messy. And there's a lot of stuff over timelines in in this current current world that we're in. Like everyone is trying to go for multiverse yeah. and universes and timelines. And I just feel like some of them don't really work as well.
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean I mean, it's it's a great series of films and I love Days of Future Past, which, you know, starts off that whole timeline issue, but it just became too messy after Apocalypse. And Dark I
1: feel like Days of Future Past was the best, along with Back to the Future, like time travel universe kind of yeah. messing up stories that you can have. Yeah. Whereas yeah. other things didn't work as well as they had hoped they would. Yeah, definitely. However, mutants is another topic for another day, because I have a lot I can voice about these the characters that are famed in Marvel comics and Marvel films.
0: Yeah, you're a very, um, big Marvel very
1: big. Marvel um, Very big. But that's a topic for another day. So I'll pass over to Will for his least favorite film. Oh,
0: finally, thank you. Um, so I mean, this is something I voiced back when I used to have a film YouTube channel. I voiced my opinions on my favorite and least favorite films, and they really haven't changed. I've watched a lot of films since I said this, and it still hasn't changed. The worst film I've ever seen is The Room, directed by Tommy Weezer, which is a a conundrum in itself which was actually immortalised in the Disaster movie. No, not... Christ, what am I talking about? The Disaster Artist. Sorry, I was thinking of my second least favourite film, Disaster Movie. The Disaster Artist, which immortalised this conundrum that is Tommy Weezer, who appeared in Hollywood with enough money to make this film, The Room, and has just continued down that path just out of nowhere appearing with all this money and I think it's very it's it's very strange how he just appeared made the worst film I've ever seen and then just kind of took a backseat in the whole cinema industry I mean The Room just is it's a terrible film with absolutely awful acting I mean if you haven't already go and watch it because you'll be laughing I mean, especially if you see the the scene where he, he walks up onto the roof with a bottle of water and he goes, um, he chucks it down and he starts shouting, oh, no, no, no. It's He's he's a terrible actor. And it's clear, because Tommy Wiseau stars and directs and, you know, funded this entire film, it's clear that this is someone who has too much money, wanted to be a film star and film director and just wasn't cut out for it and should really just leave it alone, because this is an industry that people dedicate their lives to, and he's come in there, thought he's good, and, you know, tarnished it completely by making this awful film, which, mad, has some awful sound editing. If you watch the film, you'll realise that someone says something, and then their mouth moves several seconds later. But just a a, a terrible film all round, and, you know, one I'm very disappointed to say I've seen, but somehow has cult classic status as many of the films like this do it it is just terrible i mean there's nothing more to say about it really yeah nothing nothing at all. have you have you seen it i haven't personally, i do it's only an hour and a half imagine, long
1: imagine it's not it's business. only an hour and a half long just
0: find an hour and a half
1: somewhere go and, watch it, and watch it you'll,
0: it. Be, you'll understand
1: swiftly moving on from our topic of our least favorite films which might have dulled you down a bit. Let's pick you up and talk about our favourite film of this year. Do you want to start? I can start if you'd like me to start. Do you want to start? I don't, I don't really mind.
0: Well, I'll go straight off because this is something I could talk for a long time about. This is um, my favourite film of 2022. It's quite a tight one up at the top. My top three films of this year, though, it's fairly, it's fairly close between them. They're all excellent films. Morbius being up there. Yeah, I'll... definitely. Morbius and The Nan Movie, two of my favourite films of this year. <laughs> obviously not the nan movie is atrocious worst one i've seen this year but we're not going to talk about worst ones we can talk about best films and my best film this year is the northman wow what an incredible film we actually watched it in the cinema together we did we and did one of one of the films we we watched what, wasn't it
1: like an eight o'clock showing yeah the only time that they had yeah. on
0: which was quite surprising didn't get ID'd for it, which uh, was pretty cool. No, because I was there. Yeah, because you were there. You look <laughs> like you could be my dad. Uh, but no, getting off topic, The Northman, Robert Eggers, is an exceptional film. I loved every second of it. It's, what, two and a half, two and three quarter hours long. 137 pushing... minutes. Okay, so two hours, and, two hours two hours, and 17 minutes then. But nonetheless.
1: That's so maths,
0: then. We're in the say math then but it doesn't at any point feel like it's dragging. It's amazingly paced. The performances uh, from Alexander Skarsgård is amazing in that film. Uh, And and Anya Taylor-Joy as well, who's uh, one of my favourite actresses. She is amazing in every role she's in and that specifically is an absolutely amazing film. And especially Robert Eggers. I'm a big fan of his work. The the Lighthouse is obviously uh, has critical acclaim. It's an amazing film, The Witch less so, but is still a very, very enjoyable film. But this is just a different level to everything he's, you know, released before. And, you know, as an epic, because, you know, it's based on the same Norse legend as Hamlet. It's familiar, but new. And it's just so enjoyable to watch. And it's so, I was looking at an Instagram post the other day about the difference between an action movie and a violence movie. And action movies are stylized and slick, and you know when there is fighting, it's kind of almost they're shied away choreographed. From. Yeah, yeah, very like, look, like
1: dancing. They look very, very set out. Like because yeah. the actors have to be careful when they're doing it because it's it's quite close kind of yeah. combat with hand to hand stuff whereas I think the Northman where it's got it's
0: a it's weapon, a violent weaponry movie. it's a violent movie and you can tell it's Norse because it's so it's so gritty and it's so heavy and the violence is so real it's just and that final sequence by the volcano is absolutely incredible it's just so beautiful to watch as well the cinematography is amazing I could talk for hours about this I story.
1: feel like the actors bring a lot to it they bring the different roles they bring the different lights into the film Willem Dafoe being one of them yeah. brings a very the very the kind of the iconic jester kind of role you get in these the, like the kingdoms and the the kind of yeah bases that you, you call like villages you've got like the main leader and you've got like the jester who who entertains the king and he willem defoe really suits the role he also
0: carries a heavier responsibility in this film and that's with jester like it's a while since i've watched it but of course the scene where they're in the cave and i believe willem defoe is stark naked and you get a view they become of a wolf this. yeah yeah i mean and specifically that scene on social media, I've seen a lot of people talking about the film when it first came out specifically and saying, you know, what the hell was that? I didn't enjoy that at all. And, you know, it's... it's You need to know what you're going into. It you wasn't need,
1: meant to be uh, a light-hearted yeah. Norse. Oh, it's, it
0: must be Thor and the gods. It yeah, must it's, be it's, light-hearted it's, like Marvel. It's very, minutes, heavy. Kind of. it's very It's a heavy film. And, you know, if you've seen Robert Eggers' past work, you know what you're going into. And if you haven't, you're kind of... You you need to at least know that you're not going into something that's going to be a fun, light-hearted two and a quarter hours with your mates. It's going to be sit down, look at the screen, and you're going to see some very heavy and emotional and powerful things. And it's just... you know, I could talk about this for hours, but it is an incredible film. And, you know, it was just the kind of film where you walk out of the cinema and your first thought is, I want to watch that again. And, you know, sadly, I have to say I haven't yet, but it's the kind of film that I just couldn't stop thinking about for a long time after I watched it. Stanley, do you want to go ahead?
1: Well, my favourite film of this year is Baz Luhrmann's Elvis. And I feel that this this film i i do listen to a bit of elvis actually it's although it's so long ago i'm like quite an old kid i like the 80s stuff i like the 50s
0: born in the wrong generation born in the wrong generation
1: you could say although uh, the films i would have to be in this generation for the technology and it's good being this this generation you have access to all of this past stuff that you've got but elvis i took my grandparents to see elvis with them and they absolutely loved it I quote my nan, she said she relived her youth in watching it. I feel like you could, it was very Baz Luhrmann. It was very, yeah, definitely. from zero miles an hour in a storytelling atmosphere to suddenly the 500 mile an hour build up. You've seen it in Romeo and Juliet where the scenes start going really quickly. and
0: it, Which doesn't work for Romeo and it Juliet. It doesn't
1: work bad. for Romeo and Juliet, but it works for Elvis because you've got this sudden growth in popularity like he was a he was just a regular old guy (laughs) and all of a sudden he's nationwide globally famous for his songs and it shows really the start of movements into into different like styles and different things of his dance moves they've never been done before so everyone's quite scared
0: I mean yes these
1: girls start freaking out the way
0: they say it in the film forbidden fruit you don't know whether you're meant to enjoy what you're watching him doing or you know hate it and I mean this was actually going to be our main topic of the film I didn't know Stanley had selected his best film of the year but this was going to be the main topic of our podcast Uh, I actually watched this yesterday so it's still very fresh for the first time yesterday uh, it's still very fresh in my memory excellent film as you say absolutely wonderful and I'm no Baz Luhrmann fan in fact quite the opposite I didn't enjoy Romeo and Juliet. I wasn't a massive fan of The Great Gatsby, but this is an exception because the fast pace works for it. And I think if I may just add one thing and I'll let you start talking again, the editing is phenomenal. I absolutely love the editing of Elvis. It was probably my favourite bit, of course, second only to the exceptional performance from Austin Butler, who... um. Before that, my favourite performance of his was Sharpay's Fabulous Adventure. Of
1: course, of course, and I feel like it kind of gave Austin Butler his his big break almost yeah. because he's not been really recognised as someone before, and yeah. this film kind of really elevated him. He really suits the role. Definitely, he he's got the talent. He's got what it takes to be it, and I think the film accurately represents Austin Butler's Austin Butler's Elvis's whole life yeah. in it doesn't cut out the the bad bits yeah, towards definitely. the end of his life where he puts on all of that weight and he doesn't look how he used to look and he doesn't, he's not the person he used to be and you can yeah. tell he's hanging on for dear life because he's lost everything in his life.
0: Definitely. It doesn't shy away from the details, you know, the the gritty, the nitty gritty details of his life and, you know, the Elvis was very much a glamorous figure and I think it's nice that they're showing him as not always that glamour. Yeah,
1: life. and it's 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 like Colonel Parker as well. If you speak to the uh, the older generations who are alive, who are still alive for Elvis, um, you you know that Colonel Parker was really just a figure. Like I spoke to my grandparents about this, they told me that you never really saw any Colonel Parker. It was all just put on the show for someone else, and it was find the biggest star you can get. And Colonel Parker really made Elvis who he was. He gave Elvis his, his chance and all of that. And you never really could put a face on Colonel Parker. You never really knew what he sounded like. You never really knew how he looked. You knew he wore a, wore a hat. You could see the figures. You could see everything behind Elvis. He would take this and have the money away. And Colonel Parker was never a defined figure like Elvis is. Like he, Elvis is famous for his hair for his dance moves, for everything. Colonel Parker, you can't really put a definitive definitive thing on it. Like Batman, Batman's famous for like his costume and his, everything like that.
0: That's quite a big jump from Elvis Presley to just, Batman.
1: You've got lots of Batman stuff in your room, so it's just hard to not <laughs> depict. But it's, Colonel Parker never had his really definitive figure. So I spoke to my grandparents, of course, and they said that Colonel Parker was really quite well portrayed because you could tell he's got the motives of he just wants to do it for the money and he needs the stars and he needs everything like that and it was the voice you never really heard his voice before so even this far-fetched voice that Tom Hanks did although it might not be accurate it works for the character and Tom Hanks made the character his own Mm. and I feel there's lots of Oscar-worthy moments in the film that could have through many of the lead roles and it it it's a very good representation of Elvis's life and I feel like we're getting to a point where loads of stars are getting films based on yeah their lives so you've got Rocket Man, you've got Bohemian Rhapsody well, yeah you've got
0: Elvis yeah, there's the,
1: the is it the Whitney Houston films coming out soon uh yeah
0: I believe so
1: I've forgotten the name of it yeah but it's definitely yeah it's definitely coming out soon I saw it and it looks quite good I do want to go see it but um it's just it it, it was quite an amazing film I really enjoyed it the the fast-paced work for it the difference of the racist motivations and the racism not racist the racism aspects of the film that that even back then like elvis is like why are you doing this to these people what have you and it, it it just really works
0: yeah definitely definitely and i think we have because obviously it's so obvious but because we're talking about a music film it's so obvious to talk about it that we haven't even spoken about it yet we have to talk about the music i mean <clears throat> it's exceptional i mean austin butler obviously performing those elvis songs exceptional i think the moment where i realized the music in the film was amazing was the one that's been you know very popular around social media is when it's viva las vegas a toxic remix by britney spears was excellent and I see a lot of people wishing that had been released properly because the soundtrack to this film is you know one of its highlights the performances are amazing the soundtrack's amazing you know it's just one of those films where it's difficult to you know nitpick on it because it is just amazing.
1: Yeah the music is quite an astonishing aspect I feel like if there wasn't music in the in the sh- in the movie it wouldn't make it as it is because elvis is of course famous for his music he's not so famous for his films although he did quite a few films mm. um his music is his kind of main thing and the 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 voice of elvis some of you may know austin butler at the end of it he couldn't stop doing yeah. the voice to this day i believe we still yeah he kind of- it
0: kind of implants
1: into him and he kind of can't get but that ready. shows
0: his dedication to yeah the role. it shows his
1: how much he actually enjoyed playing the role how much he was grateful for it that he
0: I mean it's that it's that point of you know method acting and I mean that could be a wonderful debate that we have right now is the is method acting in itself a good thing because of course if you look method acting you know is one was one of the factors that impacted the end of heath ledger's life specifically but it's also something that so many actors partake in you know it's it's like is there a benefit to it It enhances your performance but there's the risks that go with it like austin butler can't drop the voice and i think also i don't know if it comes under the method acting category but if you talk about joaquin phoenix and his consistent track record of losing masses of weight and gaining them again for a role you know the dedication that actors have to their roles—is it necessary that they go as far as they do? You know, that's what I wonder.
1: Yeah. Uh, however, back to the music. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, You've I've got sidetracked to again. again. <laughs> sorry. It, it was. It's. It brings his great songs to justice, and it shows how how truly great these were in some settings, in the Vegas hotels and the grand openings. How. He was just back for year after year because they loved him so much, and he or he needed it really, and because he was losing everything. Um But the music, the the, the remixes that they've done, they've done the Doge Cat edit, the Britney Spears edit, mm. all of those kind of shows the different how these songs can be adapted, but they can be well adapted into different um music. And it, it is, it, I I absolutely love the film. It I felt. Personally, it dragged on for a bit too long. However, it could have been shortened down only by, by like 10 minutes, but it, it, was, it filled the time and I wasn't bored during any of it.
0: I personally disagree. I think everything, as much as I, you know, not enjoyed Baz Luhrmann's work in the past because it's been a bit slapdash and too quickly paced, in my opinion. I feel like, you know, I must say everything in Elvis was amazingly calculated that every second every minute, every frame had a purpose to the film. You could tell
1: they were really passionate about the yeah, film
0: and they really wanted
1: to put the story into it and they really put the funding and the time and the effort into
0: doing it. Well, I'm, I'm pretty sure I could be wrong here, but I'm pretty sure the film was in um, Development Health quite a while which, and I think that's the sign of you know a, a passion project in itself is that if it spends that long with, you know, people pushing for it to be made, you know, that even... Like, if you look at some films, they spend decades in development hell, but they still end up getting made. Like, um, one recent example that I watched was Mad Max Fury Road, which obviously a legacy, legacy sequel to the Mad Max trilogy of the 80s, 90s, and this came out in 2015 it was originally meant to come out early 2000s, you know, and I think it's a passion project. When you're spending that long working on a film, trying to get it made, it's a it's a passion project. And that shows a lot of dedication to the role. And, you know, this this wasn't uh, in development hell, may I add, so I've actually just made that up completely. <laughs> but um, no, I've gone off a tangent there, but still, great film. I
1: feel like it was a... It it was a film that we haven't had released on the big screen in quite a while it was because nowadays you kind of tend to find that most films that come out have some sort of action and fight scenes and everything like that and it during lockdown we didn't have many films that came out so all of these drama films kind of got left behind
0: yeah definitely I think that's You kind of see them in the
1: Oscars but you don't really see them in massive releases. It's
0: the, I actually did quite an extensive uh, speech about this for my GCSE English speaking. It's, as you say, the action films, the the MCUs and DCUs of the world are now just ending up dominating the box office, which means that, you know, dramatic films like, you know, like Elvis and like some of more some of the more downtrodden drama films of the past couple of years, end up losing their opportunity to you know shine and be popular and get recognised by the public because everyone, everyone wants to see the massive. Movies. People aren't going to go to the cinema to see, I don't know, a Fishman's Friend or whatever it's called, or a Fishman's Tale, the the new film, when they could go and watch Thor: Love and Thunder which, my I was not a good fit. However,
1: that kind of did go and it, it was there and now it's disappeared off the face of the planet. Yeah.
0: But, I mean, you know, it's just... You're depriving so many people who put in their work of their opportunity to shine when, you know, the blockbuster you know, office... The box office, sorry, is dominated by blockbusters like the MCU films. And it's something I feel very passionately about.
1: And I feel like, moving on from that bullet train,
0: although it's... I haven't actually seen
1: Bootswinger. Although it's an action film and you've got these fight scenes, because it's not connected to yeah. Marvel in DC, it works well because you don't have a story to judge off of. Mm. Something like Thor, Love and Thunder, you've got the comics, you've got the characters already set out.
0: But I don't think having like source material that you're working off inherently means a film is going to, I think the problem I personally have with it is that film is now, cinema is now becoming, you know let's watch this film, count how many cameos we see, how many plots are going to come up in the next 10 years in the massive sequel, you know, expansion universe.
1: Spider-Man 54.
0: Yeah, I mean it's just, you know I'm tired of going to a film and being, you know, flooded with cameos or having the sequel set up in a post credit scene or having a, a nostalgia-basing scene. Like Spider-Man Noah here at Home is one of the massive examples of that, is that, you know, I, I watched it in cinemas and I loved it, but spoiler alert here, that is just because of Andrew and Toby. And I watched it again recently and I realised that it's just, really just a a mediocre film it's got some good acting
1: performances It's got some
0: nostalgia nostalgia. it's nostalgia basically and that is something that gets on my nerves is that now we're living in a world where a film has to have some nostalgia like bring back characters haven't been there for like 10-15 years or it's gonna have to set up a sequel to actually have any success and the problem the problem is the sad part of this for me is we say this but we're going to turn up to the next Marvel film. The next Marvel film that comes out, we'll go and see it. The next Marvel film that comes out is Spider-Man No Way Home, the extra fun
1: stuff. I don't want to go see it, really. But you do. But I will go and see it. Yeah. Because why are you milking a film that successfully... I mean, it successfully came out. Yeah, it was a good film. It relied on nostalgia, yeah. However, why are you releasing... An extra extra scenes in it. Two hours later, like not two hours later, nearly a year later, with some bonus content in cinemas.
0: I'm I I mean, you
1: know,
0: like, was it really wasn't
1: really a director's massive... cuts
0: and extra scenes of things you put in the Blu-ray in the DVD? Or the steel yeah, them. but this is just in cinemas. This why? is just demonstrating that Marvel Studios is just a revenue-based format it's it's losing the the spirit of cinema because when you're looking for just profits because cinema in itself is an art form and you know if you're going into it with just monetary gain as your incentive then you're kind of losing the spirit you know
1: the I feel that Hollywood Marvel, Marvel and DC can profit off of these yeah. things because they're well known, well loved characters in, and they know people are going to show up, yeah. no
0: matter what they do because they they know base. because now we're fourteen years into the MCU, two thousand eight, yeah, yeah, fourteen, 14 years. years into the MCU, they know that they've built up the fan base that no matter what they do. I didn't enjoy Thor: Love and Thunder. I thought it was a very disappointing film, but but Marvel Studios know. That people like me who might not have enjoyed it they're are still gonna. To... Are, we're still gonna go yeah. and watch the next one. We're still gonna go and watch the one after that because we're in this pattern. We're in this loop of going to watch it because they're trying it's to so cardboard
1: easy. copy old films yeah. that they've got. Like they've got the fan base from the whole of the Infinity Saga. I thought Marvel really peaked. At yeah. Avengers Endgame. I mean... And since then, they've kind of been dropping off in the quality yeah. of their films.
0: Uh, yeah. So it's Marvel They're trying to
1: go too big, Killing. whereas so DC are trying to do all of these DC stories. DC are trying to
0: be Marvel. They're that's trying the to be problem. Marvel,
1: exactly. They're trying to do their stories, and when they don't work, but that's, they go, oh, let's cut it and do it again.
0: That's where I begin to get concerned, I and mean, I'm so, so passionate. I could go on a whole rant about it, but Marvel is killing cinema, and I think, you know, when you look at, like, some of the great directors of all time, Martin Scorsese, Francois Coppola, they all speak out against the MCU, because it is just, as you say, carbon copy cinema, it's boom, 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 same film, same same Superhero, they have a downfall, they're like, oh no, I've lost my, Captain America's lost his shield at the end of the film, oh look, I've got Thor's hammer, now I can whack Thanos. Like It's, and the issue I have with it is I I appreciate that there's a lot of a lot of you know very talented people going into it in soundtrack costume design you know everything like that editors but the problem with the MCU I have is that they make the same film year after year the same film obviously quote unquote there they make the same film with different Characters, yeah, and a different story, problem, the different stories. My problem, my problem is when they bring in directors with vision, like Ch- Chloe Zhao directed the Eternals, arguably one of the worst films. I quite from enjoyed the MCU. it. I disagree,
1: shambolic. It, it, although it wasn't, it wasn't the same Marvel feel that you have to every other film. I movie, thought it was. It had good and, storytelling. However, Marvel then have this massive, massive event that goes on. Since when has the massive celestial that's poking yeah. out of earth ever been referenced in any other marvel thing it's been in maybe a background screen in something like miss marvel on the tv screen where there's people investigating it on the news my problem with the Eternals, it's got is, no massive thing
0: is we were promised a break from the the you know the algorithm of marvel films where they just However, I feel that... And it wasn't a break, because it started off as a break, but then it just became the traditional Marvel film at the end, and I didn't like it. And the fact that they got Chloe Zhao, who won an Oscar the year before that came out for Nomadland, which was a very, very good film. But the fact that they got her into it, and then obviously there's more vision behind it, but that's been downtrodden by the producers, which I think... Because there's obviously they need to keep because obviously, you know, with Marvel Studios, it's clear that their incentive, their primary incentive is monetary gain. So they recognize that if they can just continue down the path that they've gone down of the same, you know, same plot every time, they can still make their ridiculous profits.
1: I feel that they made a massive profit over Getting the same story, however, expanding it over the two films of The Avengers Infinity War and Endgame. No, I think and they that, were very well done. They, well they were very well done. Good. Although it was the generic downfall, kind of, you have the high, you have the but low, you have the high again. It worked because it was different. spread over two films. Yes.
0: Yeah, because, I mean...
1: And you it, never really get a superhero yeah. film that ends on a down note. Where the
0: villain wins. Where the villain wins, and is...
1: everyone was in so much shock that they had actually just done that.
0: I know. I I remember watching it in cinemas and being like, "Wow, how they've they've done that!" And I wasn't, you know, really into film at that time, so I wasn't looking at it from the perspective that I would, for for say now, look at it. But you know, it's that that was like the peak of the MCU. Peak of the MCU, because they were yeah. breaking their, you know, their generic tradition that went behind everything. And I feel
1: even with Avengers Endgame, even though they ended on a high note with the win against Thanos, it's they had so many sacrifices along the way yeah. that it brought emotion to the film. Like they they got rid of Iron Man, they, yeah. they oh, began spoilers, to get rid of spoilers. Yeah, spoilers. They they started to get rid of Cap. They they Thor had his start of his own story again, like refining himself after everything he lost. I felt yeah. like the Thor trilogy kind of picked up back up in Ragnarok after falling off in the first two films that weren't yeah the best that they could have been um and and it it just was a real high in the MCU yeah
0: and now it is just
1: they're going too ambitious they're going too big
0: and it's too too... much about money I don't think they've been too ambitious I think they are just you know recognizing that they are making the same film year after year after year after year after year for the past 14 years and they're making billions of dollars off it and that's kind of where i take issue with it is the fact that cinema is an art form and you know there's people you know who who look at it as an art form yeah and it's just you know becoming just so money-based yeah Uh,
1: and we could go on for hours and hours about this, about different films, about everything.
0: They're just stories for another day, really. So I mean, obviously, you know, we're gonna have to wrap this up, but thank you so much for listening. If you are if listening. you've made it this so far. <laughs> if you made it past my first monologue at the start. Yeah, that would be quite a
1: challenge. Yeah. Sorry, you have to witness that. <laughs> but um,
0: thank you for listening.
1: Thank you for listening to the episode zero, The Podfather podcast. Tune in next time when we talk about the latest films, the latest news, and some of our most compassionate topics. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll catch you in the next one.